Yes, yes, we have a lot to learn uh, from the Christians in the book of Acts. And so this is our desire to follow their example when they follow the Lord, when they make mistakes and fumble, to learn from that as well. Church is just a few months old. It probably had a membership of 25,000 men at this point. Now, if most of those uh, are men from Acts 2 and Acts chapter 4 were married, if they had two children, that would make the church around uh, uh, 20,000 uh, minimum just from those that are recorded in Acts 2 and Acts chapter 4. Uh, plus, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Chapter 5, verse 14, we're told that multitudes are added to the church. Here in chapter 6, verse 1 and 7, believers are multiplied. So now you're multiplying. So scholars estimate anywhere from 50 to 100,000 Christians at the Jerusalem Baptist Temple, JBT, uh, there in, in the first century. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And yet I've had people tell me over the years, uh, they like to share their opinions. Doesn't mean that their opinions are right, but they like to share their opinions, and they like to tell me as if they're correcting me, and, and it's, it's not my message. Uh, they say, I don't think God wants a church to be bigger than a group that can fit inside of a house. I don't think God wants a church bigger than a group that fits inside of a house. Just because you think it, doesn't mean that it's true. You need to go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? Because what the Bible says, that's what true. That's what's true. And so Romans says, let God be true and every man a liar. So when someone says, I think, and it contradicts the Bible, I'm going to go with God. And the church that Jesus started grew dramatically. By Acts chapter 1, there's 120 people uh, in the morning of the day of Pentecost, and in the evening, there's 3,120 people that have been saved. Now, again, tens of thousands uh, have been saved. Now, a church in a small community will not experience the growth of a church in a largely populated area, uh, but there should be growth, and, and this church was growing, and they began experiencing growing pains. With growing pains, they needed more people willing to serve. A bigger church means bigger needs. With bigger needs comes bigger responsibilities. Up to this point, chapter 6, the church has faced two major crises, two attacks from Satan, one from the outside, persecution, and actually that attack came twice. The first time was a verbal threat. The second time was a physical attack with 39 lashes on all 12 apostles. The second attack came from the inside. Satan influenced Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and a wife, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to the church regarding their sacrificial offering. And God spanked them. And the spanking was so severe, it was a sin unto death, also recounted in 1 Corinthians 11 and the book of 1 John chapter 5, a sin unto death. God still wants a pure church. He wanted a pure church in the first century. He wants a pure church in the 21st century. And if you have sin in your life, if you have sin in your life, known sin, and you continue walking in that sin, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your friends. You're hurting your church. 
you're hurting the name of Christ. And tonight would be a good night to repent, to turn from it, and to get sin out of your heart and life. Now, my message tonight is a question. And the question is, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to serve? So now comes a new crisis. But the problem here is not Satan, but saved sinners. You say saved sinners bring a new crisis to the church? Yes, they did. Carnality and complaining. I've heard people say, oh, oh, I wish our church would, would be, just be like the early church. I wish our church was just like the early church. I want to say, well, which chapter? All right, which chapter? Uh, do you want the chapter where they were threatened? Do you want the chapter where they were, they were imprisoned? Do you want the chapter where they were beaten? Do you want the chapter where they were killed? Do you want the chapter where they were divided? Which chapter do you want? Oh, they had no buildings. They were only concerned about soul winning, and they had no problems. Time to wake up and read your Bible. Wake up and read your Bible. The early church had problems, but they were committed to working in the mount and not running away. And not running away. They were committed to biblical solutions to their problems. And we should be just as committed to working out the problems in the 21st century as they were committed to working out the problems in the first century. When problems come, and they will, when disagreements come, and they will, maybe they just came about 10 minutes ago, uh, when they come, let's go to the Word of God, let's pray, let's, let's seek the multitude of counselors, let's find God's solutions, and let's just keep rolling up our sleeves and serving Christ. You say, but pastor, I might not get my way. Man, there have been a lot of times I haven't gotten my way in 37 years. But I'm still here and still committed, and we're still going to keep going on for the Lord. There is not a church on the face of the earth that does not have problems. The key is, are the leaders and the people willing to work out the problems biblically, righteously. So would you please stand as I read from Acts chapter 6, and we bring to you a new crisis that came to the new baby, big, mega church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed... They laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. 
And the number of the disciples, what? Multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Yes, these are the same priests that were persecuting them in chapters 4 and 5. Glory to God. May we pray. Father, thank you for our time to open the Word of God, to, to hear from heaven, to, to learn of the, the trials, the tribulations, the sorrows, the joys, the victories, and the triumphs of the early church. They are our spiritual ancestors, and they inspire us. They have left footprints of faith and faithfulness. And so, God, I pray that we can learn from them, follow their good example, learn from their uh, poor choices and mistakes as well. God, make us strong, strong in the Word. May the Word of God increase in our hearts, our homes, and our church, yes, in our community, that everyone might know about Christ, that Jerusalem might be filled uh, with the news of Jesus Christ and His love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you were here this morning or you were in the uh, Family Life Center, you heard me recount of what happened on Wednesday night after midnight with the police asking if we could provide a busing for the folks being saved through the, the uh, boat rescues, uh, Pottstown, Limerick, Upper Providence, many, many of these different EMTs and first responders. They have their boats and they came and, and as they're bringing uh, literally 450 people in Montgomery County, but 125 just out of Montclair alone. As they brought them, uh, with Brother Jim Martin running the bus, I'm running the shuttle, we had a variety of people, most of them with wet clothes. Most of them with wet clothes. Uh, many with pets. Uh, lots and lots of dogs. Smelly dogs. You know what happens when a dog gets in water? Hadn't had a bath in a while? smelly dogs uh, some have been in the water in their house where the where the home heating oil leaked out and you know how it gets that that residue on top of the water and it's on them now they are covered their clothes their 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 bodies are covered with that and it's just it's just uh, it's quite the smell and so uh, uh, after the last run, which included, for me, uh, included the three dogs, two cats, the dozen parrots, uh, now, now we're just hitting the peak of the smelliness. So uh, when, I, when I parked uh, the, uh, uh, the shuttle uh, about, uh, about 6.30, I, I let the windows down, thought, okay, we'll air this thing out, and then checked it the next day, didn't, didn't do it. So uh, I enlisted the help of Nadia, Kamilchu, Royce, and Anita. And so thank you. They spent three hours uh, cleaning our bus and our shuttle. And so special thank you to them. They did a great job. The smell is gone. But that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a, they're in a crisis. It's the middle of the night. Some have, have the only clothes is the clothes on their back. Uh, little Sam, that's a seventh grader in, in our school. Do you know what bag he grabbed? He grabbed his school backpack so that he could come to school on Friday. Didn't have clothes, but he had his books, and then our academy office uh, provided uh, school clothes for him. 
And so as I thought about that and I thought about, I thought about the, uh, uh, in fact, there was one guy had a big dog. He didn't want the next load of people. I was out helping the people get on and he's telling these people, I, you need to wait. Don't get on this shuttle uh, because my dog's here and your dogs are there. And, and uh, I didn't know quite what to do at that point. And and then a family member, inter- member interceded and said, no, no, just hold him. And, and so they, the other family got on, and then he apologized. But again, he's, he's frazzled. It, that was about 3.30 in the morning. And so, so it's just, it, it reminded me of a story. It's called A Modern Parable of a Life-Saving Station. So if we could have the lights at this time, and we'll share this with you tonight. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the passengers drown.
Church family, we are a life-saving station. And we're not changing our mission. And we're not changing our priorities. And I am glad that our shuttles and buses can get dirty. Because that's what they're there for. To help people in need. It's okay. That's our purpose. We're not going to lose our focus and our priorities. But it can happen. It can happen in the first century. It can happen in the 21st century and in between. And so as, as we think about this, uh, one writer wisely noted three perils in a growing ministry. Three perils of rapid church growth. The first one is that of fuzzy priorities. What was clear in the early days can become decreasingly clear as growth continues. A rapid growth has a way of erasing memories and the things which the church was founded upon are often forgotten or at least set aside. Leadership must give direction for the people to follow. So what we have done here is we, we put it in granite. So the first cornerstone of the first building is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The second building has our second purpose, and that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. We do all to the glory of God. And we repeat it again and again so, so that the new folks understand why we are here and, and the, I'll call us old-timers, we remember why we are here. It's for the Lord and His Great Commission. The second peril is a tendency towards professionalism, to hire professionals. They're trained, they're the pros. But Ephesians 4 says the saints are to do the work of the ministry. Is there a place for pastors and staff in the New Testament church? Absolutely. Paul ordained elders. He ordained pastors. Even in the little churches that he started, Titus 1.5, uh, to ordain pastors, elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And so uh, uh, many pastors were ordained in many of these churches. Depending on the size of a church, there may be several pastors. The church at Ephesus was very large. There's a plurality of pastors. But as we see in Acts 15 and Revelation 1, 2, and 3, there is an under-shepherd who has a responsibility, responsibility to answer to the Lord. A third peril is that of the loss of the care for individuals, not caring for people. As many Christians know, it is easier to get lost in a bigger church, a larger church. Uh, back when we met in the school, I had people tell me, uh, people tell me, well, I, I think I'd rather go to a large church because I can slip in and slip out and nobody knows if I was there or not. Now, I visited large churches uh, on vacation and other times and and I've been places where not a soul has come up to me and said hello uh, or welcomed me, even though I went out of my way as a visitor to be able to, uh, to say hello and to meet other people. But I've also been in large churches that are extremely friendly. I, I attended a church for three and a half years in Springfield, Missouri, Baptist Temple. Dr. W. Dow is the pastor. Large church, over 1,000 people. Very friendly church, even though it was a large church. So it's more of an attitude than a size issue. Small churches can be friendly or unfriendly. Large churches can be friendly or unfriendly. And that comes down to, uh, to how you and I respond to the Lord's leading and prompting. 
What happens in Acts chapter 6 is not an attack from Satan. What happens in Acts chapter 6 is growing pains. Growing pains. Uh, did you ever have any kids that had some growing pains? They, they're crying, they're aching, and you go in and, and you, you rub their leg. They have a throbbing ache. Nothing's wrong. Growing is a good thing. You don't want them to stay three feet, six inches. You want them to grow. But it hurts. It's a growing pain. And a particular group in the church in Jerusalem believed that their needs were not being met. And they let it be known. So the three groups in the church are the people, the apostles, and the seven. Who are the people? Well, so we see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So the people are the disciples. Every Christian is a disciple and every member of this church in Jerusalem. They came from different backgrounds and different cultures. They even spoke different languages, we're told in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they're all Jews, but they're all Christian Jews. They've all been baptized. They were added to the church. Uh, they didn't use the word membership. We do, but they were added to the church. They became part of something that God was doing. The apostles, also called the Twelve in Acts one They're the overseers. They were the God-appointed elders, pastors, also called bishops. Uh, today, we most commonly use the term pastor to identify this office, but it is just as biblical uh, to use the word bishop. So we got, we got Bishop Elstock here, and we got Bishop Eifert uh, back there, and Bishop Anthony over there. Uh, bishop Colton's down front here. Pastor, bishop, elder, all refers to the same office. We see that in 1 Peter 5 and Acts chapter 20. It is used interchangeably. There's a second office, and that second office is a deacon, and that's the seven. They're not called deacons yet, but we find these leaders are the forerunners of our deacons. So the Bible describes two offices in the church, in the New Testament church, in two different places. 1 Timothy chapter 3, qualifications for a pastor, qualifications for a deacon. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, to all the saints in Philippi, to the, the, the bishops uh, and the deacons. Now here's the problem. It's a complaint. And the complaint is neglected Grecian widows. Verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, this is why we know we're now into the tens of thousands of people, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Now, who are the Grecians? Who are the Hebrews? The disciples now are divided into two groups. Who are they? Uh, they are both Jewish Christians, but one group are the homegrown Jewish Christians, and the other group are the foreign Jewish Christians. And many who came from all over the Roman Empire for the Passover, all around the Mediterranean Rim, uh, from Spain to Italy to Greece through Asia Minor, North Africa, they have come to the Passover, and on, on Passover, uh, Peter preaches, and what happens on the day of Pentecost? All these people get saved, and they stay there in Jerusalem. The Hebrew Christians are from Israel, and they speak Aramaic. The Grecian Jewish Christians speak Greek. 
because they come from Rome and Asia Minor, North Africa. Here's the problem. The widows of the foreign Jews are being neglected. The question is, was it a justifiable complaint? No one refutes the complaint. No one says, well, that's not true. So apparently, it must have been true. Uh, this has been a common problem for 2,000 years in church. The question is, who should the church support financially? Who qualifies for financial assistance from the church? Paul answers that question in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Men are to provide for their own families. Verse 8, if any man provide not for his own house, he is worse than what? Worse than an infidel. If any man doesn't work, neither should he Neither should he eat. And so Paul told the Thessalonians, if you don't work, neither do you eat, because a hungry belly is motivation to get a job. State governors need to read their Bibles. Congressmen and women need to read their Bibles. They could lead much better by reading the Scriptures. Paying Workers to stay home from work is encouraging laziness. Paying workers to stay home and then paying them more than if they were to go to work is double encouraging laziness. And our country is suffering for it. We're not helping people. It's just wrong. It's wrong. Uh, how many times have you seen people use food stamps or now their food stamp credit card to buy cigarettes? It's wrong. Uh, my brother-in-law, who's a pastor in Canada, he sent me this. GoFundMe. In 1989. <laughs> All right? GoFundMe. It's called work. Okay, we'll go back to that last slide. Uh, so who qualified for financial support from the church. God is very specific for the widows. You have to be a certain age. Do you know how old? Over the age of 60. Some of you know your Bibles. Over the age of 60. You have to have a reputation of good works. You have to have brought up children. You have to have lodged strangers. You have to have served saints. You have to have relieved the afflicted. They also had to diligently follow every good work. You say, that's too narrow of a qualification. I didn't write it. I'm, I'm just reading it to you, telling you what God said. God did. He wrote it. We are simply to obey it. Now, uh, certainly there are special needs that the church can help meet, like flood victims, like, like a famine. And so the, the New Testament contains passages where the Apostle Paul goes to the Gentile churches and says, you know what? We, we have a debt that we owe the Jerusalem church. They're suffering from persecution. They're suffering from famine. And the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, I want you to take up an offering on the first day of the week. And now we know well, that's the day that they met. They met on the first day of the week. They took their offering, and they took up a love offering to be able to go back to help the suffering saints. So there are special moments, seasons of suffering that the church can get behind, and this week is one of them. This week is one of them. 
I, I didn't mention in the announcements, but, but the, the plan is to be able to take what you financially give today or online for the flood victims, and we will, we will divide it up. Uh, Brother Lulapur is going to go with one of our, our uh, uh, township supervisors, um, Al Vagnozzi, who is a member here, and to be able to, to survey, to, to identify how best we can administrate this on Saturday. And so if there's 100 families or 150 families or 200 families, whatever it is, to take the money given, divide it up, to give them a gift bag. And ladies, if you want to help, uh, at uh, 1030 on Tuesday, you email Lou Lepore, L. Lepore at VAPT.org, and we'll assemble the bags. We'll have the gospel. We'll have an encouraged book going through the trials. Uh, we'll have, uh, if we can put some snack, snacks in there as well, and then, and then money. And so then if you want to come and help, 9.30 on Saturday, you meet in the parking lot of the Family Life Center, 9.30 on Saturday, weather permitting, and to be able to go over, and then you can come, and you can help deliver the gift bags and the money to the different homes. Uh, again, 100, 150 of them, maybe a little bit more. Uh, we'll have other folks that are going to be grilling hot dogs and hamburgers, and you can help uh, deliver the food uh, for an early lunch. If you want to bring some work clothes along, we'll send an email out on Wednesday to see if there's some physical work, cleaning yards, pulling up uh, uh, dirty carpet, whatever we can do to help them. Why? Jesus said, he said that we are to shine our lights. We are to glorify God by doing good works so that we glorify our Father which is in heaven. And this is a, an open door for us to shine our light. We have a good testimony, a good reputation of the folks of Montclair, so it's our opportunity to walk through the open door and to be able to, to help them. There's some people who think the church is supposed to pay their monthly electric bill. There's some people who think the church is supposed to buy their refrigerator and their TV and pay their debts. That's not what the Bible says. If God places in your path someone with a need and God enables you to meet it, then go ahead and meet it. Okay, so they have the problem. Now we have the solution, and that is delegate to the deacons. The apostles met together. They decided what should be done, and they announced their decision. But Peter, don't you think we should have a committee to study the situation? Peter, don't you think we should analyze all the circumstances? Uh, Peter, don't you think we need to, to uh, uh, do questions and answers? Uh, Peter, don't you think you should report back in maybe six to 12 months, and then we'll, we'll make a decision? No, no. You know, I feel sorry for pastors and church members who are stuck in many hours of long meetings every month, some of them every week, because of poor leadership. The apostles said, we can't do this, but it needs to be done. This is not going to be our job, but someone's got to do it. We cannot leave the word of God and prayer to prepare food. <laughs> uh, clearly, this was written for me. <laughs> you, the widows do not want me to cook them lunch. Let me tell you that. All right. Uh, look at verse 2. In verse 2. Uh, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men, seven men. So they said, 
if we do this, God will not be pleased. They announced that they will continue to devote themselves as the apostles to the word of God in prayer. So they delegate the job, uh, verse 3. They even gave a list of qualifications. Who's going to do this? Look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. Who are they? Among you, church members. They have submitted to the authority of the local church. They are subject to its leadership. They, this shows an attitude of submission to God. They are respecting God's authority in their lives. They're church members. They are honest men. They have a good re reputation. This speaks to their testimony after they were saved. Who knows? Who knows? Possibly some of these men could have been in the mob on Passion Week. Some of these men could have been part of those that yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Some of these men might have been on the cross, spitting at Jesus, cursing Jesus, mocking Jesus. But now they're saved. Now they're forgiven. Now they're transformed. Now they praise Jesus Christ from their heart. They are honest men. They can count the offering and you can trust them not to take a penny, not to take a shekel. Their service is pleasing to God. Their giving is pleasing to God. Their tongue and words are pleasing to God. Their actions are pleasing to God. They're honest men. They're spirit-filled men. That means they do not drink alcohol. You cannot be controlled by alcohol and God at the same time. You cannot be controlled by anger and God at the same time. You cannot be controlled by anything but God. And these men are patient. They're godly men. They're to be wise. They must be, be full of wisdom, and, and they have prudence in their lives. They must be balanced in their Christian living. They're not easily offended. Their feelings are not easily hurt. They are solid, and they are faithful, and so they can get right down into the trenches and help with the Grecian and the Hebrew uh, widows and their families. And so the choice is made. Number four, the choice is made. And so seven men uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. The seven are all Greek-speaking Christ Greek Christians. That is interesting. And so we have their names listed in verse 5, verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. That means they were ordained. This is a public ordination. Uh, and then what happens? The word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. It just seems as if God says, you worked through your problem really well. I'm going to add an extra blessing upon you. I'm going to save the priests, the priests who threatened you, the priests who cursed you, the priests who planned to kill you. And a great number of them are saved. We shall see that they are all soul winners. They were bold. Every Christian leader is to be a soul winner. And if you're not a soul winner, then you're not yet a Christian leader. Learn how to share your faith. And then begin to go fishing for souls. So just in summary, what are the three duties of, of deacons in the first century, in the 21st century? 
they assist the church leaders. They assist the church leaders, and every church decides what role the deacons will have to assist the church leaders. Uh, For instance, our deacons, we have delegated to them the responsibility to review the budget. Uh, they, uh, uh, they approve any uh, uh, salaries uh, and any changes in salaries. They, uh, they, when you're home having lunch, they're still here. They're turning out the lights on Sunday afternoon. They're locking up the doors. Uh, they rotate on that. Uh, they oversee uh, school issues. They are the official school board. We have a smaller group with some moms on it for a smaller school board, but they are the full school board. And so what you have is you have they're assisting church leaders. Secondly, they care for widows. That's an obvious one. They care for widows. And so they divided up the widows, uh, and then they began to care for them. And our deacons do that. They contact their widows. They uh, take them out to lunch on their birthday or uh, they, if they're not with other family members. Uh, they, help, they help care for them. They check in on them. They encourage them. And they help stop grumbling and complaining. That is the role of a deacon, to help stop grumbling and complaining, to care for widows, to assist the church leaders. We are greatly blessed to have the deacons we have had for three and a half decades. We're blessed. Uh, One is now retired in Missouri, and we all said, hey, y'all, to the Stevers, and they typed back, hey, y'all, to Valley Forge Baptist, uh, one of our first deacons. So we had contact with him today. One of our first deacons, Dan DeWitt, uh, called him this afternoon. He's going to ch- he's in church tonight. He's 91. He just lost his wife of 62 years. Uh, Mrs. DeWitt was over 100 years of age. 101, right? 101, almost 102. And now he is alone. And he said, you know, I was just getting down. And he said, your call came at the perfect time. So uh, here are two of our three original deacons. We had contact with them today as a church. And the third uh, is in heaven, uh, Morris Rudder. And following those first three deacons, we've been blessed. We've been blessed. Story after story of churches where deacons have, have been selfish and carnal and have attacked the pastors and the churches, divided the churches. We've been blessed, and we need to have grateful hearts for the current deacons, grateful hearts for the past deacons, uh, for their love for God, their love for their families, uh, their love for the pastors, their love for the church ministry, and we are grateful. Are they perfect? Not one of them, Uh, but neither are your pastors, but neither are you, all right? We're all in the same boat. We are saved sinners. Uh, Let's lighten the load of the deacons. And so when you see someone who's grumbling and complaining, help them. Uh, When you see a widow that's in need, you help them. Uh, When you see uh, something that needs to be done, help them. So you can assist the church leaders. You can care for widows. You can help stop grumbling and complaining. And you can do what they do in an official capacity. Uh, You can do in an unofficial capacity. The word deacon, diakonos, is the word servant. But honestly, if you're a Christian, God calls you, what, a servant. Let's be joyful servants 
of Jesus Christ. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time to, to be in your house, to be in your word. We are amazed at the wonderful things that you continue to do in us and through us. We see the mighty hand of God working in a wonderful, wonderful way. And now I pray during this, this invitation prayer, I want you to consider what are you doing? How is your walk with Christ? Are you willing to serve as the first seven deacons were willing to serve? Do you understand that the first martyr of the Christian church was not an apostle, was not a pastor. It was a deacon, a man who boldly shared his faith. Deacon Stephen. And his name means crown for the glorious reward that Jesus Christ has given to Stephen. Jesus literally stood at the right hand of God the Father to receive the first deacon home. What a glorious honor. May we walk in the footsteps of a faithful deacon, a faithful Stephen. So God, I pray tonight you'd help us to, to come to you. We come as we are, but we ask you to change us and mold us and lead us. We ask you to guide us to become more Christ-like. When the attacks come, when the growing pains come, God, help us to be spiritually minded, never to lose our focus, our priorities. And may we all do what we can do. And together, united, we shine the light of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Others this week. If you have a Bible, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You know, without a deep biblical understanding of God and His truth, the will of God can be a confusing subject. After all, uh, some ask, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do criminals assault innocent people? Why? Why do insurance companies call hurricanes and tornadoes acts of, acts of God, uh, as if God causes death and disaster and destruction? You know, in Job chapter 1, it was Satan who controlled the tornadoes that killed Job's ten children. So we have discovered God's will typically means God's sovereign will. Uh, God is the ultimate ruler of the universe. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. So if it happened, it was God who allowed it. And then God's moral will, right and wrong. You go to the Bible, it tells you this is right, this is wrong. And that comes out of his character. It is God's will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be spirit-filled, controlled by the Lord Jesus, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be submissive to authority, willing to suffer for Christ. And then a thankful spirit, willing to say thank you to God. And then we looked at God's individual will. This is God's plan for you. This is God's best plan for your life. If you follow God's revealed will, then God will show you the plan that he has for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him in what? He shall, what? Direct thy path. Now, in God's individual will, we saw that there is a permissive will, second best, and there is God's perfect will. So I gave you a little chart there in your notes to see God's sovereign will, moral will, permissive will, perfect will. And you see for all, all people and angels, his sovereign will. For all people, he wants us to follow that moral will. Uh, and yet, many people choose the permissive will. And then you see the perfect will for believers and angels. Notice, God's sovereign will, it shall come to pass. Nobody can stop it. God's moral will, it can come to pass. You have to choose it. God's permissive will may come to pass. God doesn't want it, but he allows it. And then God's perfect will, it should come to pass, and you have a choice in that. On page two of your notes, you see some examples there. Jonah, Ananias, and Sapphira. Uh, God told them what they were supposed to do, and they didn't do it, and so there was uh, chastisement for that. Joseph and Daniel, great examples of men of God living out God's perfect will. So as we think about this, we have three choices are three choices. I, I choose not to do his will, and that's sin. When I am not doing God's will, that is sin. I choose not to do his perfect will, that is God's best, well, that's compromise. I choose second best or third best. I'm not doing God's perfect will. But, number three, I can choose to do his perfect will. And that's where peace and joy comes into your heart, and that's where you glorify God. Would you stand with me now as I, see, as I read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll pick up the account here in verse 5. 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 5. Paul writing to the church that he had started. Now he wants to come back to see them, and he, he writes this letter to correct many of their sins, and he writes to help them get back on track. 1 Corinthians 16, 5. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you. Now notice, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now Timotheus, come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren." May we pray together. Our Father, we come to you now, and we ask that you'd, you'd help us to set aside the, the cares, the distractions that could interfere with your message for us today. Lord, help us to take these moments to focus upon you, to focus upon your truth, your word, your message for us. Help us to embrace it and receive it. If there be one that they're just not sure if heaven is their home, whether they're here or watching online, may the Spirit of God open their eyes. May they come to Jesus Christ and be born again into the family of God today. Now, Father, I pray for Christians. I pray for good soil hearers to take in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
And so last week we began looking at the seven signposts to help guide you into God's perfect will, God's best plan for your life. As you follow God's moral will with all of your heart, then you have the questions about, well, what about marriage? And what about work? And and what about moving? And what about school? And uh, what about big purchases? God's going to help you. Here's how he is going to help you. Signpost number one, the signpost of Scripture. The best book ever written on knowing the will of God is the Bible. We sang it last week, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible gives us principles to help us make good and godly decisions. Number two, the signpost of prayer. Pray about your decision. Ask God to guide you. Ask him to help you, and he will. I prayed over every major decision of my life since becoming a Christian, and I believe God's guided me in those specific decisions. Now, I'm not talking about when you go and buy toothpaste. Oh, God, which toothpaste should I buy? I'm not talking about sitting at a, at a restaurant with a menu saying, Oh, God, what should I do? No, no, no. I'm talking about the God gave you a brain for that. Uh, the big decisions of life, you want God to guide you in those decisions, and you pray. Number three is time, the signpost of time. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, God, delights in his way. Psalm 37, 23. So time and truth will come together. Time will confirm God's answer. Just be patient. So let's move on today. Number four, the signpost of godly counsel. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. On the next page, you see, in the multitude of counselors, these decisions are established. Oh, God has given to our church so many godly and good counselors in our church family. Talk to them. Uh, pray with them. Uh, do not just seek the opinions of nice people but of godly people, of spirit-filled people, of unbiased people. Now, here's where it can get confusing. Like, you want to do something, but you want to ask advice, and you, you keep asking people until you find someone who agrees with what you really want to do. All right? That's not really seeking counsel. Or, or you ask 10 people, and you get 11 different answers. Uh, that's a tough one. Well, what do you do then? You know, as a senior in high school, I, I had met with my pastor. I had surrendered for ministry. Now it's March of my senior year, and I went, I met with him again, and I asked him, where should I go to Bible college? And he said, right now, I'm only recommending one school for ministry training, and that is Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I said, great, I'll go. Where is Missouri? <laughs> uh, in the middle of the country, and I went there uh, for four years, and, and uh, I'm glad I followed my pastor's advice. I received a tremendous ministry education. In fact, Pastor Elstocks, both of his older brothers, uh, attended that school uh, before I arrived there. I still think it's good advice for students and young people, uh, singles, talk to your parents. Talk to your pastor, your youth pastor, uh, your singles pastor, uh, when considering a college, when considering getting married, considering a, a career move. I still see godly counsel. You know, you're never too old to ask for godly counsel. Pride will keep you from asking, but humility will help you and guide you. 
Whenever I buy a car, I, I ask advice. If my kids, my single kids are buying a car, John Bilbo usually gets a call from me. Why? The man knows cars, all right? The man knows cars. Sure, I'm going to talk to him. Maybe you know someone who knows cars, but you talk to them. When Pastor Matt and Pastor Anthony, when they were young, well, I guess they're still young, but when they were really young, uh, back in high school, we had Brother Bilbo come in and he taught auto mechanics. What were we thinking? I remember him saying, he said to those, those teenagers, 16, 17, 18-year-old, he said, he said, there are two purposes for a car. Number one, to safely get from point A to point B. Number two, to get you there in style. <laughs> Great advice for a 16-year-old, right? right? You know, this point of ministry, our church, we are abundantly blessed to have so many Godly pastors, godly deacons, godly staff, godly lay leaders. Any major decision we make as a church has the touch of a multitude of counselors. It's a good signpost. Number five, the signpost of desires. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know, when, when you're walking with God, when you're seeking God, what happens is God begins to, to move and to guide and to mold your desires and to be able to show you in the path that he wants you to go for your life. You see, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely gifted by God, Psalm 139. God gave everyone here today, everyone here today, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual gifts that God wants you to use to be able to bless people in the family of God in the body of Christ. It might be teaching or serving. It might be giving or helping or mercy. It might be you're good at administration. It might be counseling, admonishing. It might be that you are, are, are wired in such a way you're creative, like with music or art or design or carpentry. You know, when we are growing spiritually, God... God nudges us, he guides us, he gives us new desires. You've heard me say that I had one dream as a kid, as a teenager, to be a pilot. My brother Steve and I, we, we built and flew these gas-powered model airplanes. I, I think it was a connection we had with our, our biological dad who did that when he was young, a young man. My parents worked at Air Force bases, they worked at the Pentagon. So my dreams, my goals, my plan, my pursuit, was to be a pilot. Nothing wrong with that. We had a couple of pilots in the early service. But God, but God had a different path for my life, a different plan for my life. And as I began growing as a Christian, God began working in my desires, and that, that, uh, that old desire faded, and a new desire began to grow and burn in my heart to share Christ, to share his word. And when you are walking with God, he'll do the same for you. He'll give you new desires, new plans in your life. But when you're not walking with God, your desires, your feelings will lead you the wrong way. So Hollywood says, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. God says, trust his word. Trust his word. Debbie Boone sang that popular song, you light up my life. This can't be wrong when it feels so right. Well, is that true? 
Are, are, do all of your feelings, are they good and godly and right? Can our desires and our feelings sometimes be wrong? Well, sure they can. God will bless godly desires. That's the fill-in. God will bless godly desires. Good desire to get married. Bad desire to get married when you're too young. Or may I add, when you're too selfish. <laughs> it's a good thing for selfish people not to get married. Uh, good desire, marry a spirit-filled believer. Bad desire, marry a carnal Christian, a backslidden Christian, or worse, an unbeliever. You know, after being widowed, it was my desire to remarry. My first wife said to me as she got close to heaven, she said, I'm only going to say this once. I want you to remarry. I want the boys to have a mom. Any of you who have remarried know the special challenges of a blended family. You know, every family has struggles, but add to that a new family member or two or three. Add to that for us a fishbowl life of being in the ministry. It was going to take a God-prepared lady to step into our lives. When I say step into our lives, not just me and the boys, but, but you all as well. It was going to take someone who God was going to have to prepare with his grace and his power. And though she's in ABF right now, she sat right down here at front, and I said, it's the lady in that what color, green and black and white dress. She could have married other people. I could have married other people. But God's plan was for us to be married. God's will. Now, one of our older deacon's wives at the time, in the early 90s, Betty Stever. Uh, she loved me. She prayed for me. She'd often warn me, pastor, pastor, remember, beauty is only skin deep, but ugliness goes all the way down to the bone. So thanks, Mrs. Stever. Yep, I know you love me. I know you're praying for me. Then she'd say, Pastor, Pastor, the Bible says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Don't forget it. I'd say, Mrs. Stever, I'm a man and not God. And so <laughs> uh, they watch every Sunday from Springfield, Missouri, where I went to college. And so let's say hi, y'all, to John and Betty. Ready? Hi, y'all. And so glad to be able to have them joining us today. The signpost of desires. Number six, the signpost of circumstances. You see, just because you have a desire for something does not mean that it is God's will for you to have it. You may have a desire to own a sports car. I know a lot of teenagers who have a desire to own a sports car. Maybe you desire to own a boat or a yacht, but it's not in your budget. I once heard an author, Ray Pritchard, he was on a radio show, and people would call in, ask about his book, and ask about God's will. And so this guy calls in, and he asked uh, uh, Ray Pritchard, uh, we found this house, and we just love it. We know we can't afford it, but we really think God wants us to have it. We thought we would do what Gideon did. We thought we would put out a fleece, and then God would answer. And so we made a list of 20 things that we want in a house. And we told God that if he gave us a house with all 20 things, then we knew it was his will for us to buy the house. The problem is this house has 19 of the 20 things. Should we buy it? 
The guy says, we, we don't know if we should buy it or not. The only thing that's wrong is it's, it's not in our price range. <laughs> and this guy, this Christian author, he doesn't give him an answer. And I'm thinking, I don't know this guy, don't know his name, don't know what he looks like, but I know this. It's not God's will. I mean, if you can't afford it, it's against God's moral will. If you can't afford it, you don't buy it. And this is how he responded. Ray Pritchard said, God told me that during two of my wife's pregnancies that she was going to have a girl. And both times we had boys. I'm thinking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody that, much less be on the radio and tell people that, because clearly it wasn't God who told you that, because God makes no mistakes. And I began thinking, you know, I'm not going to buy his books. <laughs> he wrote a lot of books, and I, I don't own one of them. God uses circumstances. He opens doors. He closes doors. So, so look with me here at 1 Corinthians 16. We pick it up in verse 5. Paul says, I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. That's there in, in northern Greece. For I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you. Now, now Corinth is down on the southern western side of Greece, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you. Now notice, if the Lord permits, if the Lord allows, if the Lord opens the door, if it is God's perfect will for this to happen. Verse 9, well, verse 8, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because a great and effectual door is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. God says, I'm going to stay here at Ephesus because people keep getting saved. People keep coming to Christ. Christians keep growing. And so there's this great open door, but notice there are many adversaries. Don't think because you have problems, it's not God's will. Problems in high school, problems at college, problems at work, problems at church. Don't think it's not God's will just because there's problems. Maybe God allowed those problems to help you to grow in your faith. And so there's this great and effectual door to share the gospel. 2 Corinthians 2.12, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me of the Lord. You know, because our church, because our church was involved in shuttling evacuees from the river to the rec center all through the night, because, because our church is involved in that, guess what? A great and effectual door is opened unto us. We have a great door open to us this week and the weeks to follow. And we should praise God for that. We should walk through that. Those people have tender hearts. Those people have grateful hearts. Of all the places in the county that have buses, we were the ones called upon, and so their hearts are tender to us, and we have the gospel to share with them. Notice also verse 10. If Timotheus comes... Young Timothy, see that ye may be that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him. Why? Because he's young, because he's young, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. What is he saying? He's saying, Don't despise the young Christian leaders. I want you to encourage them. So I, I want to say that to you today. Paul is saying to us, it is God's will that we encourage the young leaders. 
So everyone here, older, if you're older, how many consider yourself older? Okay. If you are, let's say, let's say 50 and above. If you are 50 and above, first of all, thank you for faithfully serving Christ. But if you are 50 and above, you have a responsibility to be able to encourage and love the younger folks serving Jesus Christ. We've got a lot of teenagers here, a lot of single adults. We've got some young men on our staff, young ladies on our staff. It's our responsibility to encourage them. All right? I, 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 uh, you know Thanksgiving's going to be coming. And if you come from a large family, you could, it's a multi-generational family, right? I mean, you could, have, you could have grandma and grandpa. You might have a great-grandparent. You might have some teenagers, some kids. You might have some toddlers. And you all get together. And uh, because you love each other, you get along. Because you love each other, you, you, you set aside some of your preferences. Grandpa might be there on the floor playing with the trucks with his grandson. That's not his preference. It's a hard floor. He doesn't like that, but he loves his grandson. Uh, grandma might be playing imaginary tea, right? Right? Uh, she, she knows there's not really any tea there, but she's doing it because she loves her granddaughter. You get at the table, and the kids are, are getting a little rambunctious, and they want to leave. You say, no, no, no. We're going to be here with Grandma and Grandpa. We're going to have our meal. You're going to wait. We're going to have dessert. Multi-generational. We set aside preferences to get along because we love each other. You might be thinking, oh, you know, I don't like every song we sing. But the young people might like that. But, you know, the young people might be thinking, well, I don't like every song you sing. We've been singing it for 122 years. And so I think we have a great balance of Valley Forge Baptist. Let's do what Paul says and encourage the young Christian leaders. God opens doors. He closes doors according to his will. We had a missionary change fields because of a visa situation. Spent his whole teenage, uh, uh, college, and young married years preparing to go to a South American country. Had four kids. One was severely disabled. They refused his visa. He became a missionary in Puerto Rico. We had another missionary, went to the Philippines, had a child born there with a rare condition called albinism. No pigmentation in their skin. The doctors looked at this couple and they said, you need to keep your baby daughter out of the sun. In the Philippines, they changed fields to guess where? Ireland. It rains over 300 days a year in Ireland. It's often cloudy. God led them through circumstances. We need to view our circumstances in the way the Apostle Paul did. He said, a great door is open to me to share my faith. You know, three weeks ago, I was at a store down here in Collegeville. As I'm checking out of the counter, the owner, uh, she, uh, she'd been here to a couple of the ladies' meetings, she said to me, I, I heard you recently. I said, you did? How? I thought maybe she tuned in online. And she said this. She said, pow, 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 your fireworks show. And I said, oh, oh, great. I said, we were celebrating our 37th anniversary of our church. I told her how the businessmen and businesswomen got together. They wanted to, wanted to find a way to invite people who are worshiping at home, and, and maybe they, they have a medical issue, and so they wanted them to come out to be with the church family outside so they could fellowship safely, and, and that's where the idea of the fireworks uh, came from. 
And uh, I said, we took a thousand door hangers and we took it to all the neighbors to tell them about the fireworks, explaining the gospel on it. She said, yes, I know, I received one. I said, you did? She said, yes, I live across the street from Wegmans. Then her coworker came up and asked about the school. And as they asked a couple more questions, I just went, went right in and, and it, was, it was so easy just to share, uh, share my dad's testimony, what God did for him and how, how God changed him and, and how I was saved because my dad was saved. And, and it, was just, it was just very natural conversation. Actually, it was very supernatural. You see, for five minutes, nobody came in the store. For five minutes, no customers came to the counter. And so I just went through and told the story and shared the gospel. And when I finished, a customer came up to the, uh, to the counter. So I, I paid, and I, uh, I walked out of the store. And right in front of me, walking this way, uh, in front of me is a man with a T-shirt on. And it says, New Hanover Fire. And so what do you think I did? What do you think I did? Oh, God, please. Bring this man to Valley Forge Baptist on September 12th because we're going to have a Civil Servants Appreciation Day and if he comes, he could hear the gospel and he could get saved. Oh God, bring this man to church. Do you think that's what I did? No. <laughs> what do I do? He said, hey, hey, uh, do, you, uh, do you serve with uh, New Hanover Fire? And he said, yes, I do. I said, thank you for your service. He said, you're welcome. I said, our, our church has a civil servants appreciation Sunday. Would you pass, please pass that on to your chief and let him know. He said, yes, I'm going to see him tonight. He asked me, what church are you with? He asked me, <laughs> what church are you with? What do you call that? Open door, right? I said, Valley Forge Baptist. He said, drive by it every day. Hey, hey, what are you guys building over there? And so I got to tell him about the building project. And, and uh, uh, he said, you know, we just moved here from Newtown. And we still drive down there to go to church. But my church is dwindling. I drive by and see all the cars there on Sunday. That's why you need to come and not just stay home and watch, right? I drive by and see all the cars there every Sunday, Sunday morning. And I keep telling my wife, we need to go there. We need to visit that church. And now here you are. And then he pulled his shirt up, and he showed me his gun. He said, I'm a Philly police officer, and I'm off on Sundays. I'll be there on the 12th. I asked if I could go to my car, and he followed me to the car. I gave him some tracks, gave him that little card that says, My Relationship to God. It's a five-minute presentation of the gospel. We had a lady in the early service today, Donna. Uh, she got saved one day by watching that presentation she got baptized she joined her church she's getting married in in two months his name is martin zitter please make him feel welcome next sunday as i said to the teens in the academy chapel just go up and say hey thank you for serving thank you for serving our community it was very natural no 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 it was very supernatural because God shows us his will by controlling circumstances. One more, the signpost of confirmation. We could call this inner peace, the inner prompting of the Spirit of God. Now, does God speak to us 
audibly from heaven, verbally. No, no. But he, he impresses upon our heart his moving, his plan, his will. He leads us with a settled peace in my spirit. You say, can you prove that from Scripture? Yes, I can. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit itself, bears witness with our spirit, our human spirit, that we are the children of God. Now, you tell me what that means. The Holy Spirit, His Spirit, bears witness, confirms with our spirit, that's the real me, that's the real you, that we are His. You are a soul and a spirit with a body. You're not a body first. You're a soul and spirit living in a body. One day you're going to leave your body, but you are going to live on, heaven or hell. When you're saved, you know it. If you are saved and you're backslidden, you'll struggle with doubts. When you're saved and you're seeking to do God's will, the Bible teaches God's spirit. He'll give you peace in your heart. You just say, dear God, I want to please you. I want to live for you. And God confirms that you're living in his will. He gives a peace that passes all understanding. You know, I know that I know that I'm saved. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I got baptized, not because I do sacraments, which I don't do, but I, I know that I'm saved because I have this peace in God's promises. I didn't see lightning. I didn't cry. Some people cry. Some people laugh. I just knew that God would keep his promise to me that he would forgive my sins. I knew it, that God would keep his promise that heaven is my home. And I'm so grateful, and I know you are too, that we are in God's family. We're part of God's family. This confirmation comes from the Lord. I cannot fully describe to you this test but I've experienced it. There's nothing like it to know that you know you're saved and you're walking in God's will. Time and circumstances confirm it. So there you go. We follow seven signs. God's, God will guide us with Scripture, with prayer, with time, with godly counsel, with desires, with circumstances, and with confirmation. God's Spirit will never, never, never lead you to make a decision contrary to the Bible. Never. People say, well, I know that's true, but God made an exception for me. No, no, you're not. If God said it for everyone, guess what? He said it for you too. He said it for you too, just as if he were standing in front of you. But for me, following all of these steps that I've shared with you today, God's answer did not come until I surrendered my will to God. And if you've never done that, I invite you to do it today, to pray, Dear God, I surrender my life to your will. I surrender my desires to your desires. I want you to lead me. I want to submit to you. Now, the first step for you to follow God, the first step is what? To be saved to be saved, to be born again. If you're not saved, God's will is that you come to Jesus Christ today. First step of obedience, baptism after that. You need to make a commitment to become a follower of Christ. Why would God lead you in all of your tomorrows if you're not following him today? The songwriter said only one life so soon it will pass. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance, here it is, to do his will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays. When you recall, you have but one life. May we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, for Timothy, for walking in the will of God. I pray now for each one of us. This would be our desire to walk in your will, to love you with all of our heart. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know I would go to heaven. I remember a time in my life that I made a commitment to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm trusting him and him alone. If you've got a Bible reason, there's evidence in your life that God is there because you're following Christ. Would you simply raise your hand all over this congregation? Hold it up high for just a moment. Thank you. You may put your hands down. You say, Pastor, I, I think I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. Maybe you just raised your hand. But in your heart of hearts, you have doubts. God brought you here today to hear the good news that God loves you. Jesus died for you and rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life, of forgiveness. If you will ask him to forgive you of all of your sin, if you will understand that you cannot get to heaven with a sin-stained soul, he will wash you clean. He will break the chains. He will give you forgiveness. And so right now, if you'd like to pray with me, I'll lead you in that salvation prayer. If you're watching uh, online at home and you know you're not saved, you have doubts, would you pray with me now? Right where you're seated, pray with me now. From your heart, earnestly, sincerely, you can pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, as we show respect to our neighbor, if you just prayed with me, I want to say welcome to the family of God. I'd like to pray for you. Anyone here today, you say, Pastor, I just pray with you to ask Christ into my heart. Would you simply raise your hand, anyone at all? Just hold it up high for a moment. Yes, Pastor, I pray with you and I meant it. Anyone at all? Christian, may I? Oh, thank you. God bless you. Amen. Anyone at home, if you're watching it online at home and you've received Christ, contact us. We want to help you grow in your faith. I'll be at the door. Please stop by and say hello that I might be able to meet you and help you to grow in your faith. Christian, may I ask you, have you surrendered to God? That one big surrender, but honestly, every day is a surrender too. Are you walking in God's will? Are you walking with an attitude to say, I want to do what God wants me to do? Would you do that today? Would you surrender today? Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever. Love
Is there anything you're holding back? Oh, God, I want to follow you, but you can't have this area of my life. You can have this in my life. I want to hold it back for myself. God wants complete surrender, total surrender, willing to do what he would have you to do and to do it with all of your heart. Why are you here? To serve others, to bless others, to point people to Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we come to you today, and we do want to surrender ourselves to you. We know that the best life we can possibly live is in the perfect will of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.